Hello, it's uh, it's great to be here. I am uh, Ilya Preston. I'm co-founder and CEO of a startup called Paxsafe, where we build an AI-enabled IoT platform that contextualizes supply chain data to de-risk B2B shipping and enable dynamic cargo insurance. So we're here today to talk about how we can tear down the walls and improve visibility for everyone. And when you when you typically hear visibility, you obviously typically think of shippers and logistics carriers, 3PLs. Your mind doesn't really naturally always go to insurers. But in this case, insurers, in my opinion, are really the silent heroes, and they need a little bit of visibility love as well. So. With that, I'm actually really excited to introduce uh, Ben DeBoer of Jewelers Mutual. Ben, do you want to give a quick intro of yourself and uh, JM as a company? Absolutely. Uh, happy to be here today. Uh, ben DeBoer, I've been with the corporate Director of Corporate Innovation for Jewelers Mutual Insurance Company. I've worked for the company for 12 years, and my main role is to really look at new business ideas and opportunities that not only can... Uh, disrupt us, look for, so look for those disruptors, but also look for ways to uh, disrupt the, the, the rest of the business while staying highly focused on the jewelry industry. Um, so let me give you a little bit of background about uh, Jewelers Mutual, probably the company that most of you have never heard about. Uh, we were founded 107 years ago. Uh, we uh, In Wisconsin, we have a big lake in the middle of it, and we have the, the paper barons that lived up in the Twin Cities. And they would come down in the summer for their vacations, and they would race their boats around uh, Lake Winnebago. And when you're very affluent, as a paper baron is, you buy lots of jewelry with your other time that you're not doing that. So uh, back 107 years ago, the materials to make uh, jewelry and clean jewelry were very caustic and flammable. So a group of jewelers got together and created kind of the original peer-to-peer -peer insurance by saying, we're going to put money together in this fireman's fund, and we are going to protect each other in case one of our locations burn down. We're going to help you bring it back up and, and raise the, the tide of the industry. And that's something that we continue to do today. So we are uh, the largest independent retailer uh, insurer in the United States and Canada for the jewelry industry. And we also offer uh, personal jewelry protection uh, for anybody's collection of jewelry. So. Um, one of the things about us is that we have a highly vested interest in high value items getting from where they need to be from point A to B and mitigating the risks all along the way of the supply chain. So in fact, it's so important for us to uh, understand where everything's at that we actually acquired a shipping company called TransGuardian a couple of years back and we integrated them into our uh, personal jewelry industry platform that we've been building out to help uh, the retail industry and supply chain uh, work work together and, and, and keep things moving. Uh, I had opportunity to meet Ilya a few years back uh, with a business accelerator called Generator, and I was absolutely blown away uh, when I met Ilya and heard about PackSafe because they have a solution that nobody else in the market has had when I first met him and continues to uh, have today, which uh, it comprises of logistics contextualization and really good uh, predictive analytic intelligence. Yeah, so Ben, the, the fact that the leading jewelry insurance company in North America acquired a shipping platform still is just so mind-boggling to me. I, I can't believe it. But obviously, I'm in you know an industry outsider. I don't come from the jewelry industry, uh, but 
as someone from the outside looking in, I've obviously come to to learn and know about the industry. I still consider it very much so a, a sleeper industry, right? It's deceivingly big. Uh, it, it's like ninety billion dollars uh, in size, just just in the U.S. alone. You always hear about you know millennials and, and Gen Zs. Oh, they don't care about jewelry, but uh, that's you know the data isn't necessarily showing that, right? The the industry keeps growing. Uh, some of the uh, purchasing behaviors have obviously shifted more so to, to online purchasing, but the industry is alive and well, uh, very healthy, deceivingly big, and again, kind of sometimes um, very limited to to tech disruption and, and innovation. And obviously, you're doing a great job in in playing a role in in hopefully changing that. Uh, but before we really dive deeper into the supply chain challenges when it when we uh, think about jewelry and, and shipment of jewelry in general, can you kind of give us just the lay of the land of the industry from a macro perspective? Yeah, uh, sure can. Um, so at any given moment, uh, just the sheer scale is there, at any given moment of uh, any day, uh, there's between two billion and eight billion somewhere in transit around the world with jewelry. So that's a pretty big number. It's a staggering point. Uh, working in in the retail jewelry industry and loss prevention and such, uh, there are Ocean's Eleven type activities. I'd love to uh, go on and talk about some of the the crazy things that the criminals like to do. But rather than an elaborate plan to cut into the ceiling of a building or to uh, you know open up a, a safe and, and, and cut through that, uh, it's really a lot easier for the bad guys to get things while they're in transit because there's less eyes on it, there's less security at any given moment, and they can try and insert their self, themselves anywhere along the way. Um, another one of the uh, things that's going on is the dynamics between the uh, international and the, the North American shipping, so that when the handoff comes from you know, diamonds are typically sourced outside of the United States. Just that transfer between customs and uh, going from an international to domestic carrier, there's a lot of inherent risk with that uh, in those those handshakes there. And then um, we really look to uh, try and split risk amongst our, our different shipments. So we want to make sure that we don't have too much risk in any, you know, and could pick FedEx just as a hypothetical. If FedEx has too many items in one airplane or uh, transport vehicle, we want to be able to say, um, you know, we don't want to be on the hook for $100 million all in one spot. So can you please move those into into different shipments? And then um, the other thing to, to really think about is the, the fraudulent claims that are out there. It's really difficult to understand where something happened and where, what went wrong along the way. So um, settling claims when there's an element of fraud um, is a day-to-day -day challenge for us. Yeah, so you obviously packed packed in quite a bit there. Uh, you know, when you're when you're dealing with international versus domestic types of shipments, when you're thinking about splitting out risk at a product level, it really kind of ties to that inventory management component of of the movement of goods in the supply chain, and then of course, you know, fraud. Really understanding that full chain of custody and understanding what's going on with your product. Uh, obviously, visibility is an integral part of being able to. Uh, address all of those issues. But before we we kind of move forward, I think it's important that we level set on what visibility is, right? There, there are very varying levels or, or degrees of uh, understanding as to what visibility is. Uh, I ask some people, you know, what, what their definition of visibility is, and they, they log me into their UPS portal or their FedEx portal and show me the little milestones of, 
of the product moving along through through different parts of the journey. Uh, on the flip side of that, you know, somebody else can can say that it's literally somebody sitting in front of a screen staring at a dot, you know, following that shipment from from the second that it leaves the the origin to the time that it arrives at the destination, right? And, and the truth is, there's there's elements of truth coming in from both of those uh, anecdotes. Uh, but but that's really not what visibility is intended to be. So from your vantage point, can you talk a little bit about what visibility means to you uh, and, and really how the jewelry industry as a whole addresses uh, or even Jewelers Mutual addresses, you know, visibility and, and tracking of product from start to finish? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, everything starts with visibility and the pizza tracker method of your item is A, B, and C, and then delivered is is uh, yeah, it, it, it's visibility, but it's not the, the level of visibility that we need. So I'm going to start with everything or something that I think everybody can relate to during this pandemic, uh, which is I think most of us have uh, bought something and had it delivered to our, our home or residence uh, dur during this point in time. And if you're like me, I expect the Amazon two-day shipping to I order something and it gets to me um, supposed to get to me two days later, but somehow sometimes it takes two weeks to get there. And then things that are supposed to take two weeks or a month to get to me show up at my doorstep the next day. And I, I don't know quite what to do with that. Um, so knowing when something's going to arrive or where it is and having something say it's in, in Milwaukee and two hours away for me and arrives within a two minute span just doesn't, doesn't sit well with me. And then the other things on top of it is, it, is the item that was shipped safe? Uh, was it damaged? Where was it damaged? Um, all those those elements of when, where, how, who uh, are, are things that uh, don't provide the visibility that I need, and it is also a very manual, uh, intensive process. You know, so you know, imagine if you own a shipping logistics company and you are trying to ship something. You know, you're going to need a legion of, of humans to be able to take a look at where something is on a map. And not only that, with all the shipments, try and figure out if something's going wrong and what can you do about it. Um, so visibility is a, a key thing. Um, but PaxAFA and what you're doing, Elliot, what, is, what does visibility mean to you? So at its core, you know, visibility for us is really about three core things. Uh, first and foremost, it's it's about intervention. So how can we use sensor data, third-party data, and enterprise data all together, right, in conjunction with uh, intelligence tools, AI, machine learning, to really intervene and and uh, intercept any salvageable products before the loss has has been incurred. So that's number one. Number two is really about resolution, right? And this one's important, I think, specifically, Ben, from, from the insurance standpoint. Obviously, once a claim has filed and, and the excursion has already occurred, right, the adverse event has already occurred, how do you go about conducting that root cause analysis? And how do you leverage that data and automate as much of that, uh, that claims adjustment process as possible to properly classify what actually happened in the supply chain? And the third part uh, is is really you know probably the most important but the most underserved as well meaning nobody's really gotten there yet and that's accurate prediction how can we identify when where and under which conditions these adverse events are likely to occur again and how do we put the necessary controls in place to mitigate that from happening again and obviously as as you might imagine there's a big correlation between point two and point three there where the outputs of the resolution stage really have a major influence in driving. Uh, accurate or inaccurate prediction and risk models, right? So 
um, you know, I, I know you'd mentioned that uh, there's really kind of a, a limited aspect of visibility in, in that, you know, to, in today's supply chain and jewelry, and that makes it difficult to, to really intervene real time uh, with with regards to any given shipment. But can you talk a little bit about, I, I'm more curious about point two with regards to resolution, specifically from the insurance lens. Uh, how How do you handle, you know, claims adjustment today? in the jewelry insurance industry. Yeah, the the claims adjustment is uh it it's difficult because it all starts with the the limited data that we have to make any kind of decisions on. So when a claims filed, there is no central source of truth that everybody can point to and get around. So from the insurance company to the the shipper to the carrier to the person delivering it to the door to the person that was supposed to receive it on the the final end there's nothing that everybody can point to and say this is where the the failure was right um, and so it becomes a, a uh, arduous process sometimes a contentious process to to do a claim and uh, it's all just because the the data that we are able to collect is qualitative and it what we have it also lacks a lot of context. So um, it, it it is time consuming. It is labor intensive, and that's why I'm I'm glad to have met you and, and worked with you being a visibility pro provider. So what, what's your take on um, visibility and and what the the next steps could be? Yeah. So I mean, for us, we we don't have to look too far past. I think the the industry loss ratios to understand, in, in cargo insurance specifically, to understand just how difficult it is to actually price uh, shipment risk, right? And, and uh, you know, our, our take on this is if, if you can't conclusively, with data, identify how or why something happened in the supply chain, it, it's very difficult to actually then properly classify an adverse event or, or an excursion. And if you can't properly classify it, you really can't contextualize it, at least accurately. And if you don't have that level of contextualization, uh, you can't really drive accurate risk models off of that. So I think that's where the disconnect in the industry currently is. And, and what we're seeing in the industry today from a, from a tech provider standpoint, right, from a visibility tech provider is, I, th I think there's a big race to get to prediction. And we know that nobody's gotten there yet. We see the year-over-year -year claims data. We see the loss data in, in cargo uh, that keeps rising each year. And, you know, at the end of the day, everybody's trying to get to prediction because if you can accurately predict when and where these adverse events are going to occur, then you can prescribe, you can advise companies to mitigate that risk, and you can also help insurance companies price that risk. So it's, it's completely natural. I think the method by which companies are, are trying to get there uh, varies drastically. And, and what we see most providers doing is essentially aggregating large amounts of, of raw data and pulling in more data sources and essentially just trying to get to a critical mass of data and have that individually kind of drive more accurate prediction. And my take on it is, you know, that's certainly a part, that's a, that's a piece of the puzzle. But the second and, and equally important piece is contextualization. And, and without contextualization, uh, being a part of that, an equal part of that equation, you won't ultimately be able to get to accurate and consistent uh, risk modeling and prediction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, visibility is the first step towards underrating risk and assessment, which means we're going to have more accurate product pricing. Um, 
But some of the things along the way when you, you spoke about data before is that uh, as insurance company, we are dependent on, we have actuaries, we're, we're dependent on data to, to drive all of our decisions. And unfortunately, uh, we as an industry don't fully trust IoT yet. Um, there's, there's too many solutions out there. Uh, the accuracy of the solutions and, and what gets reported back isn't something that I, I can rely upon. Um, they don't play nice in the sandbox with other IoT providers. Everybody wants to be, you know, like Sony. They want to create the Betamax. They want to create uh, some proprietary technology that nobody else can play with. Uh, and they just provide tons of raw data without exposing what calls to action that, that, that really need to be there with the data. So you can get data all day long and not know what to do with it in, in this day and age. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think that's where our industry kind of kind of misses the mark, right? I, I mean, that the visibility provider market is is a huge market, eighteen billion dollars, but it's a very fragmented industry, right? And, and it's there, there's really no clear dominant leader uh, as of yet. Um, but year after year, despite the number of solutions that are out there, what's Gartner's number one or number two pain point? Every year, it's it's this lack of real time visibility, and it's obviously not Gartner, you know, providing that information. That's that's based on the voice of the executives who work in supply chain in these large organizations, and that certainly matches the you know the feedback uh, and the voices that we're hearing from both our customers and and prospective customers that we speak with. So you know, it's certainly not a surprise. Um, I will say, you know, part of the visibility um, tech provider market is is obviously very commoditized, in the sense that there's a ton of GPS chips chipsets out there. There's you know temperature data loggers. There's RFID. There's you know ELD solutions, and, and certainly I would say the ability to get you data is definitely commoditized. But whether or not it's quality and consistent data, I, I wouldn't say that part of it. It is really overly commoditized uh, at this point, and and further, you know, a lot of these solutions are are essentially hardware first uh, solutions. They're they're not data first, right? They're they're um, there's a lot of man manual intervention that's required. They're, to your point, they're not interoperable. They're not intermodal. They're not uh, API driven. Their platforms are not API driven, uh, and and there's very limited predictive analytics associated with them. And then the second part of that, which I think you've hit on before, is is also the contextualization piece. Nobody's really providing the context. Everybody's, you know, providing the raw data, uh, but the context, you know, to to your earlier point, if if your package comes in damaged, and uh, you know, you can certainly have a sensor in there that's that's an off-the-shelf sensor that can tell you that this package experienced a shock at at a certain time and at a certain location. But you don't know, as the insurance company, you don't know if that shock was the result of a package that fell off a shelf from three feet or if somebody you know, was carrying it and dropped it from five feet off the ground, uh, if, if a truck swerved or hit a pothole and the, the package tilted on, on one of its axes and broke, uh, if a forklift picked it up too forcefully or, or dropped it down too forcefully, that level of granularity, I think, is is absolutely integral to be able to you know, put the necessary controls in place to to mitigate that kind of risk, but also price that risk, and, and not just with damage, right? With with all sorts of uh, sensors and data across the board. So, I mean, to that effect, 
what innovation in the jewelry industry or what role does innovation have really in the jewelry industry? And then what do you envision, maybe a broader question, what do you envision the future of the jewelry supply chain really, really looking like? Yeah, I think it has to start, uh, number one, with automation. You know, I, I spoke before about taking a look at, at the, the UPS radar dots and seeing where something is and having a whole legion of people trying to figure out where anything is at, a, at any given moment. Uh, that and any ability to react to something in real time is not there today. Um, so I think uh, real-time sensor-driven notification. So if something happens before it even leaves the, the person that's preparing the package for the, the shipment, we should be able to say, Let, let's stop this right here because we already know that, that something's there. And then uh, I really think that predictive analytics can uh, um, change car carrier performance. And that would be a win-win. So with our shipping solution, one of my uh, utopian dreams is to, when we're offering up a shipment between, let's say, New York and Texas, uh, I want to be able to say and, and have our, our customers that are doing the shipping not even see solutions that we can see because of predictive modeling that are going to say that going this way and shipping with this carrier is going to have a high likelihood of some kind of damage or loss or uh, something that we're going to have to intervene with. So not even opening up that option. But at the same time, I, I think that also opens up a greater possibility to have conversations with the carriers themselves to say, hey, we see this. This is not working. Um, we need to work on price, which is my, my least favorite of the two options. But we also need to say, hey, can we have you guys take a look at, at fixing something that's broken in, in the supply chain so that you can, we want you to make money, we want to make money, and we want the jewelers to make money uh, as they, they perform all the commerce. So I, I think if, if I could have a utopian idea, it would be all that visibility, all that context, all that understanding, and help drive prices lower and lower and provide better service, which is just going to continue to make it a win-win for everybody. You mentioned earlier that you know that insurance really doesn't trust IoT, which I was only mildly offended by. But uh, do you envision that trust gap between the two ever bridging together? I, I think uh, you know maybe not twenty twenty one, but I, I think IoT is is going to get there. So it's two sides of the coin. So it's not IoT's fault for not understanding the insurance carriers, and it, it's you know vice versa. Uh, Insurance companies need to learn to speak tech better than we do. I mean, there's some people, you know, hopefully myself included, that understand the the tech aspect of IoT and how powerful it is and how it's going to be a game changer for us. Uh, but we speak in insurance terms, and and talking tech is difficult. But also, I've started to see different tech-related companies and IoT-related companies start to understand the vernacular of the insurance industry. So I think when we can have those collaborations and create kind of a, rather than a broad, this is all the data we can give you, have the MVPs of this is what we want to solve for a second, third, you know, and prioritize those things. I think uh, IoT is going to keep going leaps and bounds and, and provide a, a greater experience throughout the in, entire um, uh, commerce business, but uh, vastly improve the, the shipping and logistics industry. Yep. And the key word there is collaboration, right? So I think as long as startups like ourselves and uh, established, you know, old uh, company, established companies like Jewelers Mutual, uh, you know, keep collaborating together to drive innovation and improvement in visibility, supply chain, IoT, insurance, 
uh, I think obviously, you know, the sky's the limit with that and that conti- that needs to continue to keep happening. So with yes. that, ben, you know, thanks so much for, for joining me here today. It was, uh, it was an honor to, to be on here with you. Pleasure to be with you as well, Ilya. I look forward to our future collaborations.